0: Episode 21 of You Shall Not Pass Go. We're your hosts, Dave and Jengas. And we are hosted on geekaid.com.
1: What's your geek? Uh, just so you all know, if there's a slight delay between our responses to each other, if it's not edited out in posts, it's because this is our first uh, remote session because of scheduling conflicts and all that. And, you know, I feel Dave's like I'm going to edit that out. All right.
0: That explanation, maybe. Why
1: not? Why not? Why can't they know?
0: I can't because they know. can't see behind the, the curtain, Jangus.
1: <laughs> Please ignore the wizard behind the curtain.
0: I've go- uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. You must ignore oh, the wizard. <laughs> um, so, starting so, off with magic. Yes, uh, dual Dex, Merfolk versus Goblins. That's uh, right. It's coming out in, uh, in about a week.
1: Mm-hmm. It's got... A, it's got a, uh, because uh, I'm sure... Uh, because Ixalan had uh, a strong merfolk presence uh they were able to pull uh some then again a, a lot of these are just pulling just from the wide breadth of uh Magic the gathering take, you know altogether uh they're not you know their and goblins are two common staples of you know ntg so it's uh it's, they shouldn't be hard pressed to find you know some some good cards to put together mm-hmm. I see a i see master of waves which is like you know uh perfect for this kind of thing uh the deck is so uh the merfolk deck is blue mono blue and the goblin deck is mono red uh so what are your thoughts on them dave have you checked it out
0: I have, yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, you've got a Warren Instigator, obviously is the main draw card of the Reckless Vandals Goblin deck, um, which, you know, if you're looking to pick up a, a Warren Instigator, this is not a bad way to do it because you get a whole bunch of other goblin cards as well. Um, outside of that, everything else in the goblin deck, a lot of it is is stuff we've seen before, some things with some new art, which is cool, um, but nothing, uh, nothing overly wild where I'm like, Oh my God! I mean, there's a Krenko in there, which is nice. But I mean, he's been yeah. reprinted a couple times. Um, you know, you have Goblin Rabble Master and Goblin Diplomats, and all right, so cool. Yeah, we got stuff. Interesting that they reprinted Ghost Fire in it, though. I thought that was an interesting reprint to throw into the Goblin deck. Yeah, um, I think
1: that would be definitely a. Uh, I mean, even though it's a common, um, you know, it's it's still really solid for if you want to run a colorless deck uh, yeah, outside I, of
0: this. I just think uh, that's it's so. It's so strange, you know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I thought Ghostfire was going to be reprinted back in like one of the 12 Eldrazi sets we we had, but it never it never really was, um which I thought was interesting. Um but then you have the the Murfo deck which I guess people want Master of Waves to be the the draw card there, but I actually think really Harbinger of Tides is really the card that I would uh and maybe Master of the Pearl Trident; those two are, are really the the draw cards for me in those decks. Um, you know, there's also Mindspring in there, which is nice in a misdirection. Um, so a couple nice cards. You know, for twenty dollars, a little tiny dual deck set. I, I think it's it's not it's not a bad draw. I agree.
1: Um, and plus, it looks like both decks are really fun to play out of the uh, out of the box. You know, uh, we very rarely speak of like you know, what a what a dual deck, you know, is really meant for. And it's like two people, maybe they have, maybe they haven't played Magic the Gathering before. They pick this up and they want to play a game against each other real quick without having to build. And, you know, from what I can see here, they both have pretty good synergy, uh, tribal synergy,
0: uh, as well as color synergy. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy when, you know, both decks are, are mono and then you have like a single... Tribe, it's yeah. it's it's hard to mess that up, even for wizards. But I, I, I think that, um, yeah, you know, dual decks. Do I ever play with them out of the box? I think I have once or twice. Um, most of the time, I just kind of sift through, take the rares out, and the rest kind of go in a box somewhere, waiting to be picked apart for other things. But all in all, I mean, like, if you're if you're into playing the dual decks as they're meant to be played, one against the other, this probably is one of the more balanced sets. Um, maybe a slight edge to the merfolk, but I don't know. It, it looks pretty good.
1: Um, also, these decks are, uh, you know, just, just harken back to uh, our favorite... Our favorite, uh, j- you know, gameplay, uh, game, not well, gameplay, but, uh, our favorite way to play magic commander. Um, you know, both of these decks are great starting points if you want to, ru- if you want to make a monocolored tribal, uh, commander deck. Mm-hmm. Um, they both have legendaries in them, uh, and they both have, you know, count- discounted, a couple doubles, at least like 15 creatures, which is pretty good, you know, especially, and, uh, 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 maybe there's a couple cards here and there. I think the Merfolk deck has Selkie, yeah, Cold-eyed Selkie, which is green-blue, which technically wouldn't be able to go into your deck. Um, but uh, you know, that's something else to think about for these uh, uh, these these dual decks, especially when they're tribal-based.
0: Yeah, being able to pull pieces obviously out for for other types of tribal decks, whether it be commander or something else. But all in all, I mean, in, in terms of dual decks, I think I think this isn't a bad one. Um, I like it. I'll I'll pick it up for 20 bucks.
1: Yeah, I like it too. Two thumbs up. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, Magic news is scarce this time around, my friend. There's not much yeah. going on.
1: Yeah, I mean uh, like between MTG Arena it's still kind of like, you know, bubbling in the background, uh and we're in between Exxon and Rivals of Ixalon. Um, you know, it's it's not there's not a lot. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I well Unglued is coming out soon, right? Or not unglued. Unstable. Uh, un- Unstable's coming out soon, I believe. Yeah. Uh so that's something to look out for on the horizon. But we've heard nothing about this set. <laughs> uh, Supposedly
0: the sword of Dungeons and Dragons is going to be in it, but I don't know really? about that. Yeah, that's uh, what they say.
1: I would love that.
0: I would uh, also love that. Um, that deck- so Jenkins and I thought it would be fun to talk about some of our favorite epic card saves. Um, save cards specifically. Things like, you know, I mean the most common what everyone always talks about is like the well-placed fog. You know, that, that moment yeah. where uh, the game is in dire peril of, of being over and someone goes all out and they pump their creatures and they take that big massive swing and then that one green man comes out and it's like boom, fog. And and all of a sudden, like things go nuts from there. So, um, what are what are some of your favorite epic save cards or epic save moments that uh, have changed the game in a pinch?
1: I could tell you what my least favorite epic save card is, which I it might it's be still. Rift. <laughs> what? It's psychotic
0: rift. It's psychotic rift.
1: It's psychotic rift.
0: Yeah. Um, I, but we talked about that before.
1: Yeah, I know. it's just—it's still like. Mm. It's it just burns every single time. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I'm a big fan. When I played, uh, when I played more like standard stuff, uh, my favorite part of one of my decks was uh, I like to make all my creatures, uh, you know, immortal, and then wipe their field <laughs> or find some way to like. You know make them have uh maybe indestructible indestructible and just wipe your opponent's field. especially if they're playing a creature heavy deck uh like i like to you know a lot of times i just take the thing that i hate the most and i bring it back onto my opponent um uh, let me think of something else you know there's uh there's a lot of great ones um you know i let you know, having uh, a, a really cool one. It's not really so much a it's it's a it's a save in the way that you take out three things of your opponents that might be extremely necessary for their combo. Uh, it's not exiled; it's destroyed, but it's still like you know, boom! You know, there goes your you know your token generator. There goes your you know. Uh, your con, you know, your your mana source that you really mm-hmm. need that was h- hinging everything together. Uh, it's stuff like that that really, in my mind, is kind of like the the epic save, so to speak. Sure. Uh, what about you, buddy?
0: Um, I got a couple. Yeah, you know, one of them is uh, obviously, I think, force of will is uh, one yes. of, is that's the that's like <laughs> I like, feel like the one of the like, like fog it is a classic epic save card you know that that moment where once again you know every, everyone's tapped out and someone goes off and does like you know that final piece of that final spell that's going to you know put it all over the edge and then turn the game in their favor and then out of nowhere someone's like uh force a will and just the whole table, just like everybody perks up and like, oh, whoa, God. because you know, you just you you never really expect the uh, the Spanish Inquisition. Um, but it it's, it's true though, you know, like it's it's Force of Will is one of those great save cards that just you know it comes out of nowhere, and that can be said for a lot of those alternate cost cards that mm-hmm. you don't have to pay the mana for, and they're instant speed, and you can just remove cards in your hand. But um, I think Force of Will definitely tops that list. Another one that I, I really like is uh, Souls Fire. Um, I never really used wow. it, really? but well, yeah, I, I it's on my list specifically because of our buddy Phil. Um, I can't <laughs> tell you how many times I've thought the game has been like over in in some way. He uses Soul's Fire in a way that will like just change the game completely, or just win it for him, because you're just like you know, there's no way you can win, and he's just like uh-huh, uh-huh, Soul's Fire, <laughs> and you're just like oh my god, and it's just like it's. It's crazy. Um, Soul Spire is a little lesser known card from Shards of Alara. It's one red and two colorless to cast. It's an instant and it says target creature you control in play deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player. So it really just, it, it just like, he uses it in such a unique way. Like, that's a card you would never be like, oh, this is a save card. But like, yeah. every time he just, like, he'll have a <laughs> creature that's like, you know, a 10 10 lifelinker and you think he's dead, and then he'll just like kill your creature, gain 10 life and be fine and better shape than he was, or like, you know, just crazy things will happen, or you'll be like one point away from being burned out and it's like, you know oh, soul's fire, I don't know, it's just he's he's used it so many times in so many unique ways <laughs> and saved the game or changed the game because of it, that it definitely makes like my all-time uh, list of saves um, Nice. yeah, what about you, any others?
1: Um, you know, I was thinking of uh, another staple from my my standard days back when it was legal, uh, legal card, uh, a legal card, a path to exile. You know, that was like oh, that, yeah. that was back in back in standard when like you don't really have to worry about too many things on the for- on the field. Uh, that was like. Oh, that was clutch.
0: Yeah. Uh, Path to Exile uh, was uh was a a champion of a car. It still is. I mean, mean, to this day. What's crazy is I'm pretty sure Path has been like reprinted like fourteen times, but it's still it's it's still retained so much value. Um let me look up the current price of it. Path to Exile, the most it's not that expensive, I'm sure. Uh well, it is still ten dollars. <laughs> ten dollars, Jengis. That's $10. pretty expensive.
1: Yeah, I guess so. You're right. That's, a uh, that's solid. Wow, really?
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, it ranges, depending on the edition. I, I'm looking at stuff as low as 7 but still, yeah. So you're talking $7 for a card that's been reprinted in, I mean, it's been in, it was original printing in Conflux, what? but it was in Modern Masters, the Modern Event Deck 2014, the Modern Masters mm-hmm. 2017, Arch Enemy, the Commander Anthology, the original Commander, and the Vencer vs. Koth. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been reprinted a number of times, mostly in specialty sets, but still, it's had two Modern Masters reprinting. So that that's pretty good, and yet it still retained like a 7 to $10 value of that card. Um, so Path to Exile is still uh, a clutch card to have. I yeah. mean, you, you pull that out at the right time. Also, I mean, what I love about Path to Exile is... Um, I used to use it also as like mana ramp, white mana ramp, man. Like if oh, yeah. I needed if I needed mana real bad, I would just like I would almost pull a Sakura Tribelder type move. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd block with my creature, and then in response to blocking, I would just path my own creature just to get a land. Um, and also, you know, there was that time where that one time. Back in the day, where I played b- the blue-white um, standard Zendikar deck that had um, p- the path to... Because Zendikar and Shards were uh, in standard at the same time at one point. Mm-hmm. And...
1: I, remember.
0: I I I played that archive trap path to exile combo deck and there was that there was that one game I lost horribly it was a multiplayer game but I t- I wasn't the first one to lose because I drew the hand that everybody wishes they had I had one white mana I had path to exile and I had all four archive traps which I mean um archive trap is a 5 mana cost instant uh blue card two blue three colorless um, that has an ultimate cost of zero if your opponents... Or not if your opponent... If your opponent? Yeah. If your opponents has yeah. searched their deck um, on the turn that you play it, you can play zero instead. Um, and it's a trap card. And it <laughs> mills exactly 13 cards. And the fun fact is that if you have all four plus a path... That's exactly their entire deck, because their 60-card deck, they've drawn seven cards, plus yep. they take an eighth one for that for that land, even if they haven't drawn for their, for their first turn yet, and then you archive trap them for the rest, and that's it. The other 52 cards are gone, and so on turn one, it is potentially a game-winning combo, so I was in a multiplayer game, and I did it. I drew the hand. I had the path. I had the archive traps, and <laughs> I just path to the first creature I that hit the field. The guy searched for the land. I quadruple archive trapped. Never felt better. He <laughs> hated his life. <laughs> and then I subsequently was destroyed because I had no hand at that point and it was a multiplayer game and I had no way to recover and everyone was like, well, he's just wide open. Let's just take him out. Um, but it was a one trick pony, but I, I, I do appreciate a good path. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, um, I have a uh you know uh do you have any more or i'm oh, i'm pretty if, do you have more no i'm i'm good <laughs> at that point yeah uh, i mean like
0: you know i'm i'm sure there are a couple others that come to my mind um you know specifically um cards that are like you know anything with uh, with flash is always good and I'm a big fan of obviously you know simple counters are clearly epic save cards you know but I don't want to just say counterspell though counterspell is a great contender Um, I'm going to combine it into mystic snake I think mystic snake is a great epic save card um just because like i mean any counter is but i specifically like mystic snake because it's just good value you you're not only countering spell but you're also getting a creature off of it so you could like block something and counter something in the same turn it's it's really it's a really unique way to save the game um if you really need a save so Mm -hmm.
1: yeah uh for that monica you know one colorless one green and two blue uh Really solid. You know, one day they'll, they'll. Well, actually, no. I was gonna say one day they make that green counter spell, but I think they kind of did. But it only applies to, like certain things. Like yeah. Green's Green's way of like stopping things is fog or like. uh Or something along the lines of like you know a wipe for only flying creatures or something like that. Uh, You know that's why you have to usually splash in something like uh, red or white or blue if you want to have like you know any other color. If you want to have like some real removal,
0: yeah. uh, Yeah,
1: but hey, that's that's green. yeah so those are some of
0: our favorite epic save cards you know Uh, Um, we'd love for you to reach out and tell us your favorite epic save cards Um, mm -hmm. and you can do that by emailing us uh, or going to our twitter
1: yeah our email is ysmpgcast at gmail.com and on twitter we're at ysmpgcast so either way reach out to us and hey we'd love to hear from you
0: yeah we want to know what your epic save cards are and maybe we'll mention them on the next cast
1: uh, uh, I want to I bring up one thing. Uh, yeah. It was a Reddit thread that uh, came up earlier. I browsed the Magic TCG Reddit. Um, and it was something I was, uh, I was wondering if you ever had experience with this. Uh, the thread is, what do you do when uh, your opponent rages? Like, how do you handle that? Mm. Uh, thankfully, Thankfully, I've never been on the receiving side of someone just like, raging on me Mm. but that i think that's largely due to the fact that i don't play decks that people rage against Mm uh you know most of my most of my tactics are fairly straightforward um but how about you dave have you ever come up across someone who who rate like either like a a tournament or you know when you used to when you used to organize tournaments at uh msu Mm -hmm. did you ever come upon someone who like raged at magic the gathering
0: yeah multiple times it's happened what, multiple times.
1: What would you I can, say? I, I, like can, could... I can
0: regale some of the stories. Um, so, like, I mean, the good thing is, is that in our friend group, it doesn't happen often. In in our, in the friend group, if anybody's raging, they're just bitter. Yeah, <laughs> they're, not, they're never like angry in general, but they're just like overly bitter. And then they usually work out that frustration in the next game that we play. Um, so we've been pretty lucky with like our own personal Magic the Gathering circle. But in terms of like actual rages. Um, there's a couple that stick out in my mind. I remember one, I went to, I think it was, I think it was at New World Manga and I was at a, either a release or a pre-release and I had pulled, God, what was it? Um, something blue. It was something, <laughs> it, I don't, you know, I honestly, I don't even remember what it was. It might've been, it might've been a Reborn and it might've been Sphinx of the Steelwind. Um, that's going back, but st- yeah. you know, Sphinx of the Steel win is like that's like the acroma of the uh the artifact archetype. You know, it's got like eighteen keywords on it and abilities. Um, you know, it's like you know, first strike and life link and this and that. Yeah. Um, and I won this game against, I guess, this kid who expected to go four zero. Really? And, yeah, and I I beat him. I beat him two uh, one. And when I was done, he started to just curse, and then he was just like, you know, the only reason you won is because you know you pulled a mythic. You just you just won because of your mythic. Like you didn't actually win. And I was just like, uh, <laughs> you didn't actually pretty sure, win. <laughs> pretty sure I did win. And he's like, if you didn't have your mythic, you wouldn't have won. I want to be like, if you didn't have cards to play, you wouldn't have won. But, like, what are we talking about here? But this kid was just so angry. started screaming, like, fucking shit. And he's just cursing and going off. He ended up leaving the store, dropping out of the tournament because um, he was just so pissed. And wow. I didn't do anything. Like, I you didn't say it, anything. A guy I had rage tons quit. of snarky comments. <laughs> yeah, he really did rage quit. Um I didn't say any snarky comments or anything. I was really polite, and everybody just sort of looked at me and was like, you know, don't worry about it. Like it's cool, and I was like, all right. Um, and then a, a kind of similar altercation happened actually over at uh, at Wild Pigs got rest its uh, its buried ground, yeah. and uh, we it was um it was another situation where like I won a game, and I guess this guy I don't know what he I don't know what his deal was. Was that a commander tournament? And I think it was the one where I ran elves. I think it might have been that dual commander tournament if I remember correctly, or maybe one before it, but I ran something and this guy was just like so pissed because he was just like, Yup, yup, that's how they play. Cheap and dirty. Cheap and fucking dirty. <laughs> and like this whole oh my thing. God. And he was just like, you know, screaming at me. And I was just like, Alright, man, like good game. He's just like, yeah, fuck you. I was like, Oh, alright. Oh, just like <laughs> okay. Like, All right,
1: it's children's card game, man. Yeah,
0: right. And you know what's funny is I, I might have actually said that. I might have been like, just a children's card game, bro. Um, and he, like, he went out and started like smoking and kept looking back at me and stuff, like from outside the store. And I was just like, am I gonna get, am I gonna get shanked when I leave today? Like, no, no. I was like, what is this? What is this rage? Um, but yeah, you know, I've I've encountered it before. The best thing I can say is, if you're like me, just you know, don't take it to heart and try and just, you know, kill them with kindness, so to speak. It's very easy to want to like fight back and get in someone's face, but you know what? It's it's a lot easier to just. I mean, not easy, but it's it's a lot more beneficial if you just sort of put a smile on and you you just keep on airs and yeah. you just you kill, just let them kill them
1: with kindness, <laughs> yeah, man,
0: and you you let them go work off their stuff, and also then you look like a great person and they look like a douche, so it you know exactly. it all it all works out. Um, yeah, but yeah, I've never I've never personally rage. Have you ever raged? Have you ever encountered rage? No, no, never.
1: Um, like I said, a lot of times the decks I play aren't like. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. I, many of my tournaments, I've never really like stomped. Like <laughs> everyone I've played has usually been like, "Yeah, you know, you, you played well," or "Yeah, that's the way that was going to play." You know, like not like, not like you know, uh, getting angry at me because of some crazy pull. Uh, usually, uh, I don't get a lot of bombs. I don't build a lot of decks with bombs. Mm. Like, oh, this strategy works well, and if it gets me far, then it's like, oh, that's why you got far is because your strategy worked well. Right. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate, so <laughs> I'm thankful for that.
0: <laughs> that's cool, man. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, once again, just to just to reiterate, if you have a rage story that you'd like to tell us, please email. Please tweet. Please like it on the Geek Aid page. Like it on the Facebook page. There's so many ways that you can reach out to us, and we would love to hear from you. Um, 100. Mo- percent Moving on, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So yeah. we have we have two things to come out. So first off, if you're if you're hearing this uh, this cast and you have not yet heard our Devil's Night game, and you're like, oh man, where is it? Uh, we'd like to apologize. There was a, a miscommunication. Inside of our uh, our internal Geek Aid departments, and because of that miscommunication, yeah. um, the the game is is stuck in limbo. It will be released uh, hopefully fairly soon, um, and you can look forward to seeing that. And you know, don't be weirded out if we're like Happy Halloween, and it's like nowhere near Halloween. Just just <laughs> deal with it um it's but a fun game it's it's a, it's a fun game and that's kind of what we we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit of talk back about it right now so um maybe in the show notes if you look you're gonna see a timestamp for when we're done talking about this game um and we're also going to be talking about another game we played recently with our friend alex who is now joining the fold of geek aid and is going to be uh releasing and i, I don't have a date yet for it but we'll be releasing in a uh a podcast that is a D&D adventure of his own campaign that both Jengis and I are, are participating in, we're playing in
1: it yeah. Players. Um,
0: so we're going to do a little talkback about both these games, now in the show notes you can find the timestamp for when the talkback is over because it will contain s- plot spoilers if you care about such a thing for the games, um, there will be plenty of spoilers about in this talk, so feel free to skip ahead and come back to it once you've heard those casts, um, but for those of you that have already listened to those casts or don't care about spoilers, here we go, But ding, Indeed! Um, yeah. See, I made a little bedink noise yeah. And that's just for me, really No one else is going to know about the <laughs> Um So uh, First, let's talk about the the haunt So I ran I, I, I DM'd the game Uh, Juggies played along with our friends Phil, Joe, and Krystalyn. And uh, let me get your reaction first. As a player, uh, give a talk back. What did you think? You had a very interesting experience in the game, more unique (laughs) than anyone else. Um, But let's, I mean, there's a lot of information there. You can just sort of jump in wherever.
1: Yeah, so um, uh, uh, it was, uh, I think, you know, going into it, we knew it was going to be, like, a spooky game. Uh, you know, going back to our previous month's conversation about, like, being scared in a and d game, um, you know, uh, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if Dave was going to throw something, like, really crazy at us or, like, you know, what have you. Uh, I was playing a, Ken- a Kensei uh, monk, uh which is going to be released in Xanthar's Guide to Everything. And which <laughs> and which apparently Jengis loved. <laughs> I liked it a lot because you get to be a monk, but you get to also use a great sword. And it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um but he was a dwarf, uh he was a very stoic character, uh and Dave gave me a little like hook uh to to my reasoning as to why I'm there. Um, you know uh, but beyond that, it was kind of like it, it, you know i still I still retain my character's uh motivation throughout. Um, but anyway, just, Dave picked some really spooky music to go along with it, which was very nice. We played in like somewhat the dark, uh which also added to the atmosphere. um, you know, there was a lot of good a lot of good stuff for the game uh that helped make it more. You know, got you more immersed into the game itself. Uh, I think everyone DM'd, uh, role played their character very well, um, but you know, there were puzzles. There were. Uh, you know, combat encounters. Uh, and there were definitely twists and turns. Uh, that definitely kept me on my toes. So, what were some uh, of your
0: favorite moments? You would say then. I mean, they know there's gonna be spoilers. Uh, you don't have no reason to be so so cryptic about it. Uh, I'm so um, cryptic though. Um, all right. Um, <laughs> occurrences occurred.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the one of my favorite. You know, I think definitely seeing the it sort of the you know, the whole. Encounter took place in not encounter. Can, module took place in a a, ha- a house, a haunted house. Um, I think, <laughs> I think you know, Dave's very good at uh, storytelling and being spooky. So, <laughs> I <know>. so like <laughs> when we first get there, you know, Dave you know, you know, we're we're outside the door, the door won't open. Um and like we try things that we see like eyes looking at us uh from outside the window. We try to like make fun of it, but all the while like, man, that's that's gonna be something really mean. <laughs> um and then, you know, we enter into the house, um and we fight, you know and we find out that the thing looking at us was a creepy doll. And Dave picked like this really creepy music for the doll. Whenever the doll showed up <laughs> and like we would hit the doll and it would go away and it would come back and the music would come back and Dave would get that smile. Like he's coming, <laughs> uh, which is always enjoyable. Um, uh, and you
0: know, well, and then something okay. happened to Genghis, uh that specifically was, <laughs> was out of the, the realm of normal. Um And uh, specifically, I mean, you want to you <laughs> go ahead, just, just get into it.
1: So I'm going to say, like, you know, I I said all along, I was right. I'll say that first. I was right. Um, There was a sword across the way. And we're like, oh, a sword. Across the way. It. By uh,
0: across the way, I mean, that, that requires a, there, explanation. We went into there, a there room. Was, there there was, was like a pool. pool. There was a pool. Yeah. And, think, think
1: like an indoor pool. Uh, And, and the like only way to get
0: to this sword was to, like, walk around the pool you had like or or go through the water which was all murked over and you couldn't see anything and like just like a
1: person who is self-aware uh in a horror movie you know like oh man there's something in that water (laughs) (laughs) but you know just you know everyone's like oh we gotta get the sword (laughs) so i'm like all right uh, I'll go cause I'm a melee fighter. You, you stay there. Uh, two, it was me and Phil. Uh, we went to get the sword while our, uh, Joe and Crystal stayed behind. Uh, I'll, yes, something was inside the water. Uh, and it attacked us. Um, uh, and, uh, I, I don't remember how I died.
0: But no, I, I died. It, it's all it's all in what attacked you. It was yeah. a beholder zombie.
1: Oh yes, that's what it was. I was disintegrated. <laughs> yes, you were.
0: <laughs> um, I uh, rolled I rolled for an I beam, it got the disintegrate I beam, Jangus rolled, didn't roll well, and the rest was history. He got he got done poofed.
1: Uh but uh, in, in classic Jenga's dyed fashion, uh, I was able to continue on in the story by inhabiting the sword. So the sword became a, a possessed sword, possessed by me. <laughs> and I was able to, like, kind of have some fun there. It's like, I'm a sword. I light up. You know, like... <laughs> but then from uh, there,
0: they get to uh, a room, uh, and in that room they make a flesh golem part yes. of the puzzle.
1: We made like a Frankenstein monster. Yep, and then I became the Frankenstein monster. He became the monster. <laughs> and it was um, very like body horror, grotesque. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, you know, if you can't just imagine
0: if you became a monster, how
1: would you feel?
0: You know? Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> um. I,
0: so what was, did you what, what did you think overall? Like, I mean, did you enjoy it? Like, what was uh, what were your thoughts?
1: Oh, I enjoyed the heck out of it. I always loved playing, you know, and it was a very enjoyable adventure. Um, like I said, there were lots of, like, little puzzles that were were cool, like, you know, one door had to go up, one door had to go down. There was always that, that even more so than, like, a normal D&D game where you kind of, like, uh, we kind of... We don't know what's going to happen. Because, like, for some reason, I went into this game expecting, like, you know, oh, someone's going to die. I don't know how, someone's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, whenever something would try to isolate us, like, one switch had to be... There was one part where someone had to oh, flip a switch for us to go through, but that isolated him from the rest of the party. I think it was Joe. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, when you go to a situation like that, you're like, Oh man, uh oh, so Dave's gonna mess us up mess with us somehow and like and uh and I was just like, Yeah. Uh but like I said, overall it was very spooky. It was very, like I said, atmospheric. Uh and the comment cameras were great. I had a good theme. I liked it.
0: I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean, from a DM's perspective, I, I enjoyed running it. I, I'll be honest, like, a part of me almost is sad that it, it was just a one-shot um, because I thought it was just a really fun game. Uh, I had uh, I had a lot of fun. Um, I started the game with, like, you know, a small plot device just to <clears throat> set everything up using a, a character that was, should have, you know, clearly been able to just take care of business on his own, but he, uh, he was indisposed for other reasons, which you'll hear in the cast. But... Um, you know, I, I think the hardest thing for me is, and you know, we've mentioned this before is I, as a DM, I don't shy away from player death. Um, I'll do my best to fudge certain roles and make certain things happen. But at the same time, like I, especially in a horror game, like I have to have that element of, of fear, that element of like permanency of like, you know, there's a chance our characters might not make it. And not just like, you know, everything's going to be okay because we have plot armor, um, so, I'm always, but I am always disappointed when it does happen because I feel bad as a DM because I want my players to enjoy the game. And it, when Jengis got killed, um, it was in, like, it was maybe halfway through the game. Um, maybe slightly more, three quarters, but there was, there was still plenty of game left. And I didn't want him just sitting on the sidelines. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, at the top of my head, came up with the idea of throwing him into the sword. And then when they got to the flesh golem, that's when I was just like, "Oh, this is probably even a better idea because then I have a body again." <laughs> and you know, no one questions it because it's inside of a horror house. So I mean, it 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 ended up working out pretty well, and I I got a lot of positive good you know good feedback from the players. I think everybody enjoyed it more than they expected to. Um, the ending was like very open ended with the with the doll and everything else. Um, and I, I just thought overall for like a one shot, it was definitely a solid game. I had a lot mm-hmm. of fun with it um and hopefully people will enjoy listening to it um because yeah. that's you know that's why we did it but uh alex's game then came up and we yeah. just played that about a week ago not even <laughs> like five days ago uh and as i said you'll be i don't have a release date yet but you will hear these these episodes eventually um He's running them in a campaign that is lightly based in Faerun, but it borrows elements from his own creations as well as from other um, campaign settings, uh, Everon, like Dragonlance, everything. As um, I like to call
1: it, uh, McVeyrune.
0: McVeyrune. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't normally get to play D anD D, so I was already happy just that I got to play. Because uh, I'm always DMing, but I I I thought it was a great first game. You know, this is Alex's first time DMing. Mm-hmm. He was he was he was very nervous um, about like the whole experience, and I think sometimes that might have translated into some of his characters. <laughs> it's <laughs> but, very
1: possible.
0: <laughs> but I I do think that it was a very solid, fun start to what I hope is a very long uh, mm-hmm. campaign. Um, you know, I played I so too. I played sort of a A character that is a a combo of all the types of characters that I've played before. Um, You know, I I always say I like to play Alibus Archimedes, and he's gone through many iterations over the years. You know, he started out as a War Mage, um, then became in four E, what was it like a Spellblade or whatever it was that they called it in four E, and then from there he was like a Magus and Pathfinder, Um, and then he just kind of be every now and then he would just be a wizard or he would just be a sorcerer. Or you know he would be he's always a, he's always a, he's always a magic user of some kind um but then in the one game that we did that never got released because of reasons um we I had a, a a different version of him where he I took a level in cleric, and you know he was very like Cleric-y, but he was also still wizardy, and it was kind of this weird hybrid thing. Um, and then on top of that, there was the character Castiel, which I've talked about before on our cast, <laughs> yes. who was, you know, the lawful, good, suffer no evil, um, you know, character that was a, that was a magus and he was, that was in Justin's game. And so I sort of just threw all those concepts together and created my character for Alex's game. But for the first time really ever, I'm not dabbling in traditional um, arcane spell casting. No. I am a full divine caster. Um, normally I play, <laughs> I mean, granted, I am a divine caster of the arcane domain, and I gain a couple wizard spells, but they're still technically count as divine cleric spells for me. Yeah. Um, so I am playing a cleric. It is Alibris, but this time around he's a knight. He is a cleric. Um, specifically, as a knight of the... Sir
1: <laughs> He's Sir
0: Alibus Archimedes. Um, very particular about that, because he's a hard-earned sir. Um, it's an interesting backstory, which the and my in-game players don't know yet, but um, essentially what it was is uh, he he's an ASMR um, in this version of himself, so that's the kind of, like, Castiel thing going on. Mm-hmm. And he uh, was bullied where he grew up, and I think I had him grow up in... Myth Dranor, maybe, maybe somewhere. Myth I, Dranor. Yeah, oh. I don't. I don't exactly remember where I had him grow up. I had him grow up somewhere, um, but where the where wasn't as important as what happened. So he was bullied a lot because his eyes are like this piercing gold color, which is very unusual, and nobody really understood what he uh, what he was or, or what he mm-hmm. is, I should say. And um, neither did he. He did. I mean, for all, all for all he was aware, he was just a human with just weird eyes and yeah. he got made fun of and he got beaten up he got chased down until one day he gets like cornered in this alley and in a desperate sort of like one of those classic anime style like you know <laughs> leave me alone type moments um, he unleashes this, <laughs> this,
1: this
0: <laughs> <laughs> he unleashes this this hidden power he has and um, these golden wings spurt from his back and oh. force everybody out um, uh Away from him, right? But like it pushes them all away by about 10 feet and roughs them up a little bit. The kids see this happen, and the bullies said they're going to tell everyone that he's a freak and he's going to be like sent to prison because he attacked them and this whole You're thing. A freak. Um, <laughs> and around the corner from this is uh, another guy whose name I think I named him Aberforth Archimedes. Um, and Alibris was, was nameless, he was an orphan, um, and he gets taken in by hey. this guy. I'm an uh, orphan too. Sweet. Um, <laughs> he gets taken in by this guy who sees that he has the potential. knows knows first off knows that he's an Asymor, <laughs> and then sees that he has the potential for magic. You're so an ta- angel wizard cleric Harry. <laughs> well, yeah. So he so he takes he takes him in. He gives him the name Alibris, and they become close. and And Alibris becomes sort of his surrogate son, his adoptive son. Um, and he takes on the surname Archimedes. Um, as as a representation of that. But while studying for years to become a wizard, he's just so bad at it. Like, he cannot, no matter how much he loves magic, and he does, he loves mm-hmm. it with every fiber of his being. He thinks it's just the most incredible thing, mostly because, you know, his innate magical abilities pretty much saved his life and changed his life completely. So he yeah. owes magic everything. So he he reveres Mistra, he loves Mistra, he loves the weave, he loves magic. He studies it relentlessly Um, But he will not um, really, he can't really even cast like the most minor of cantrips. And this Mm -hmm. kind of puts a small bit of tension between him and Aberforth, who really wants nothing more than to sort of teach this person that's become his, you know, son, so to speak, um, sort of like the ways of the wizard. Um, Until one night when Alibris prays to the Goddess Mistra, prays for, you know, the ability to be a wizard, prays for her guidance to help him, you know, uh, capable in the ways of wizardry and instead he gets something completely different she comes to him in a dream and oh. gives him the powers of the divine and makes him a cleric of her it Takes he accepts his love and says you know here you go and provides her magic so he doesn't really ever cast magic the way a wizard would instead he has something in in his mind which is even far greater he has a direct line to the source of all arcane magic his magic is straight from mistra um and that is incredible for him um from there aberforth makes him go join the knights of the mystic order or excuse me mystic fire um and the Knights of the Mystic Fire are a group of knights that are mostly paladins. It's traditionally paladins, who are paladins of Mistra. and their credence is to essentially just, you know, go around, do good, but more than anything, find, A, find where magic is being abused and stop the abuse, and B, seek out ancient magics and recover them for for the uh, for the world. And uh, that pretty much sums up Alibris Archimedes of, of this uh, iteration, but I've mm-hmm. I like I said I've never really just played a I played a full blown, blown uh, excuse me a flu, a full blown cleric before, um, which is unusual for me. I'm not used to having to to do that because I have to sort of be especially at this level. I have yeah. to be sort of reserved with my spell work. Um, there was a moment in our game where this guy wanted to test us. And more than anything, because like we're <laughs> showing that we're 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 competent, that we have abilities. More than anything, my gut reaction was like you know, chuck a spell at him. Yeah. But then I was like, wait, that's not who this is. Like this is the this is the cleric. He doesn't he doesn't do that. He he heals instead. And I kind of used that to my advantage and got a weird reaction from the group. The group gave like an audible like no, oh, which is not what I was going for at all. And I was just like, you <laughs> all are freaking weird, man. Yeah. Um but he's, hey, he's it the was point, adorable. Thanks. But uh but long story short, like yeah, so the Sir Alibus Archimedes, and you'll see and you'll 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 hear this in the game, it's very important to him um because it that's a representation of his acceptance as a s as a spellcaster and as a a um um disciple of Mistra. Mm-hmm. That's that's everything. There's everything in that sir. So he's very protective of his title and it can make him come off as very um I don't know, uh full of himself, a little rough, a little yeah. rough on the edges. Uh-huh. Um but he <laughs> he's 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 very proud. Um and that's sort of my character for the game. Yeah. Uh, and I'm having a blast. I'm having a blast playing him. I we had a lot of fun uh that first game. What about you? You want to talk about your character, Gibbs? Sure.
1: Uh so Garrett Gibbons uh, he is a halfling rogue uh, so I never played a rogue before not like seriously actually I don't know I could pretty much say like I've never really played a rogue um, so I built him pretty vanilla uh, I, I, I even mentioned to Dave like if if the Xanthar's Guide was officially out I would have probably made another Kensei uh, a monk Kensei but in, instead I made a uh, you know, your, your standard rogue, your thievy rogue. Uh, I was kind of considering an arcane trickster. Um, but I went just straight rogue. I mean, I could always change it if I really want to. Um, but so my concept for Garrett is, so he's chaotic neutral. Uh, he's not good. He's not evil. And he's very much unpredictable in some ways. Um, I'm still trying to find his his like character trying to find the character still um, I have an idea but just like in role play it doesn't really come out as well because I'm not really put into situations uh, where I can really explore that more um, so uh, just for Garrett uh, Garrett's uh, backstory um, he uh, he goes by Gibbs. Uh, because you know, it's just a mouthful of a name. Uh, he was orphaned at a young age. Uh, oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, and raised in an orphanage in Neverwinter. Oh. Uh, yeah, I like Neverwinter. Uh, he he uh, he he was a bit of a troublemaker. You know, uh, never really playing well with the other children. He would kind of go out on his own uh, outside the orphanage, uh, mess around with strangers, <laughs> using his natural born uh abilities of dexterity uh he would pick pockets he would um he he would you know play you know make people think that there's something going on, on one side you know with like misdirection and you know stuff like that mm-hmm. uh eventually he came upon uh in, by pickpocketing uh he, he came upon uh, one specific person who kind of changed his life forever, um, similar to you. It's very funny because our characters are kind of similar in certain ways but also extremely different. Extremely uh, <laughs> different, yeah. um, Because instead of, uh, while he was, you know, out and about, he found, he picked the pocket of uh, the, the character's name is Karasu. Uh, he is a the leader of a thieves' guild called the Crows, uh, whose main base is in Neverwinter. Uh, I made them up, <laughs> um, and when, when you know when when Gibbs you know was reaching into his pocket and you know tried to steal he saw like you know gibbs he saw that gibbs also had potential but potential in the ways of thievery (laughs) so he he took gibbs you know under his wing he pretty much adopted him uh became his father figure um and he he taught him how to be a thief how to be you know how to be a member of the crows um and in, in his training, he became fast friends with two other boys of his age in the guild. Uh, their names were Jorgen and Lewis. Uh, when they all came of age, uh, they were all finally inducted as apprentice members of the Crows and formed kind of like a three-man squad uh, with which to carry out missions for the guild. Uh, yes, I know, David. <laughs> What do you know, Uh, Jengus?
0: What do you know? know. (laughs) Believe it. (laughs) Uh,
1: You know, uh, but as they did missions together, it became very apparent that Lewis had more darkness in his heart than his, you know, his, uh, his, his partners. Uh, Ah, yes, there's uh, always a Sasuke. There is a Sasuke. He is a Sasuke. Uh, his his violent outbursts, as well as his reckless ways, almost ousted them, ousted them uh, on one or more missions. This caused him to come into conflict with Karasu and mm. ultimately led him to be exiled from the
0: guild. Yes, of course. Um, as Sasuke and, was. And,
1: and, and also exiled from Neverwinter. Mm, um, yes. After, after that point, uh, you know Jorgen and Gibbs—this uh, was Lewis— yeah. Jorgen and Gibbs just couldn't find the same synergy as a two-man squad, and just they both went solo. They're still friends, uh, but you know, ultimately
0: they're solo. Oh, excuse uh, me. This is not the story of Naruto. This is the story of Jiraiya, Tsunade, <laughs> and Orochimaru.
1: That's right. I am Jiraiya.
0: <laughs> that, is what, that is what that would make you.
1: Um, uh, and then when it came time for uh, what it's essentially... Uh, the, the main plot of the game, which is the Great Quest, uh, he ris- he rose in the ranks of the Crows to become a journeyman, uh, and then he was selected by Karasu for a very special mission, which I'm not going to reveal because it might <laughs> lead you to metagame some things. That's fine, yeah. The, <laughs> thing,
0: the thing about my backstory is there's 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 nothing in it that... Um, I have no secrets. Alibris is not, you know... Um, there's nothing... you. If you end up metagaming with the information I gave you, it's fine because there's nothing, yeah, like I said, there's nothing, he wouldn't, there's nothing he wouldn't tell over a over a you know a, a glass of meat. He's very proud of of his heritage and where he came from. Um but uh but yeah, that's that's a really interesting character. You really did write Jiraiya, though, um and it's very funny. But it's great. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I,
1: I like I like him. I, like I said, I just I have to find a good voice for him kind of like i wanted to be sarcastic i wanted to be kind of like a snarky snarky bastard sometimes but we're all snarky uh, there's so much snark already there's a lot of snark so it's very hard to be like so then sometimes i'm like what if i'm just like what if i'm like yeah i'm down i'm like 100 percent down all the time <laughs> like, <laughs> everyone else may like question this and we're like no i'm in you know, yeah. in for a penny, in for a pound.
0: I'm, you know, I, I, like I said, I enjoyed the game. I'm overall, um, I'm a- anticipating and excited about the interaction I'm going to have with Andy's character in the game, um, ah. because Andy's character is playing. I mean, I could tell from the beginning that he was a uh, an evil character. Probably, I assume he's probably lawful evil. I'm chaotic good. Um, so we're both like we're, we're yin and yang here. And the interesting thing is, like, uh, his character is not a good person, but he wants to... His The whole thing is he wants to punish evil. He's a paladin, but he's a paladin of... Asmodeus. So Um I my character doesn't know that yet, and I'm looking forward to that interaction considering the whole reason it's, that Asmodeus became a god so is that Asmodeus or I mean, even though he ended up spitting him back up, supposedly, um the whole way that Asmodeus became a god is he ate Azuth. And Azuth is like Mistra's like number one guy. He's a demigod of Mistra, so that's a big deal. That's a pretty big deal. Um mm. and I'm sure we'll end up having words eventually. Um, but it was great. I had fun with it. And I I, I, I hope uh just like the the haunting game that we played, I hope our audience, I hope you guys enjoy listening to it.
1: I think there's plenty in there for people. Um, I got a little tired towards the end as is my ways when it gets very late. So unfortunately I didn't talk as much towards the end, but I think my yeah. early interactions... At the end it was just
0: me and Alex just going at it and I'm like, right everybody? Right? <laughs>
1: it's just, you know, that, it's what happens when a game goes late. Yeah. Um, but, yeah more more um, caffeine next time. You know,
0: we, we <laughs> our characters were bound to currently printed hard book material. Um, No one are has. But what's interesting is, you know, Xanathar's Guide is coming out in a couple weeks. And um, I wonder if we'll be able to retcon or use anything from that. But while we're on the subject of it, what's, you know, if you could design a class, because we already know there's going to be class options. We assume there's going to be um, either some new classes that we've seen in the On Earth stuff, mm-hmm. or some other stuff coming. Um, but if you could design a class, what class would you want to see in Xanathar's Guide? Like, mm. just a, it doesn't have to be a fully fleshed out concept, but just like something that you say, yeah, this is something I'd love to see brought into the fold of five E officially.
1: So something I always wanted, and you know, never really could make in current rules i'm sure there's probably a way to do it uh but like i would want something that's a bit more rules supported uh so much so that it becomes a class option is i would want either fighter or monk probably more fighter to get like uh, a pro wrestler slash lucha libre kind of archetype one that deals largely with like grapples and like then strikes from grapples um so I don't know about I don't I, don't,
0: I, I mean monks could kind of already do that 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 would sound better as like a fighter archetype
1: yeah like an unarmed saying, fighter I, archetype yeah but I mean there's kind of also already brawler but like I said I want them to be like you know these moves to be in game like make it like a flurry of blows call it like call it like you know something else, The like swan, tawn, bomb. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I want stuff like that, you know? I, th- I think it would be cool. A lot of it you could probably do through role-playing, but, like, I would like <sighs> the concept. Well,
0: what do you do, Dave? Well, I think I'm going to cast Magic Missile. I'm going to deal uh, four points of damage. Okay, great. Jangus, what do you do? I'm going to get on the top rope! <laughs> I'm going <gonna, laughs> to kick his
1: candy <laughs> uh, I run from one side uh, then I run from the other side then I stop uh, then uh, I, I take my gauntlet my off and I
0: throw my gauntlet at my friends <laughs> and then I raise my eyebrow <laughs>
1: I drop an elbow on him and it yeah. deals uh, uh, four damage yeah. <laughs> um, but like something like that um, maybe like you know more uh, you know like a fancy pro wrestler that's what I want um, you know uh, yeah that's cool, and like just do crazy like zangief you know like something like that you know like i want that that's kind of like the archetype i think of is like zangief from street fighter uh where you're doing like ridiculous holds but you have some strikes too like a drop kick or like something like that and Mm -hmm. you know uh but a big brawny kind of like yeah dude like that that's cool Mm -hmm. i can see that that's awesome yeah me too Wizards doesn't.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, they never take our suggestions. Sometimes they do. Sometimes and then they do. Sometimes. <laughs> we, we should write them a strongly worded letter. Uh, yeah. For me, I think it's a combination. If, uh, with, uh, when I see uh, the
1: president of Wizards of the Coast at uh, PAX Unplugged, I'm like, hey, just, you know, suggestion uh, wrestler.
0: <laughs> Other suggestion, listen to You Shall Not Pass Go 90% of our podcast Is dedicated to your product
1: <laughs> um, Sometimes 100% Depending yeah. on if the game Falls under Hasbro
0: <laughs> Which today, it will um, But anyway The the but two classes yeah the, yeah, the two classes that I think I've got two um, Are you fancy? That I would like to, to see I mean one sh- You should see this one coming, I'd love to see a 5U warm age Ah, uh, uh, yes. I'd love to see the return of the War Mage. I'm sure and, it's coming eventually. And see, maybe, <laughs> but I, I would love to see what that would be like in 5e. See if they kind of take it more of the Magus route that Pathfinder took, or see if they kind of just revamp what they had already when they did it back in um, 3.5. Cause it's, because there were differences. In 3.5, the War Mage was more of like an armored... Uh, sorcerer, a sorcerer that could wield weapons and could wear armor without a chance of spell failure. Um, And then Pathfinder, which, you know, 3.75 is really what we call it. The Magus was similar, but slightly less armor in terms of like what they would get. It 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 was just a different way. But the main thing was it wasn't a sorcerer. The Magus was more of a wizard archetype, Um, that could wield weapons and have armor. So there's a big difference there. The difference of preparing spells versus um, just using spells and the difference of being able to gain spells through studying and spell books versus Mm -hmm. just innate magic casting ability. Um, But regardless, I would love to see what they would do with a 5e War Mage. Uh, But if i want to think outside the box a little bit less less all yeah. about me and more about just in general and this is <laughs> going to be weird for me to say considering like i really hate like eberron and other things but Ooh. um i i would love to see a technomancer Ooh. come into the fold um and it doesn't have to be high science fiction technomancer where it, where it would be out of place in faerûn but i would love to just see like a a semi steampunky technomancer type class where all the magic is based on fantasy tech but not, but I just I what would, I wouldn't want it to be because like I said I know some people would want it to be super steampunky and super warforgedy and super like everon that's not what yeah. I'm, I'm not looking for flying ships I'm not looking for crazy things just someone who can create small like devices like mm-hmm. like explosives or you know um like, a cantrip is maybe, like, similar to prestidigitation and thaumaturgy, where you can, like, open and close a door. A cantrip is, like, a door, um, you know, I don't know, what would you call it? Um, like, uh, um, uh, like, 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 gadget. If you yeah. call it, like, create gadget. And the gadget would be, you know, no more kind than like the a, size of, like, something like, that like could a persistent
1: fit... cantrip or something like that. Maybe that broke, maybe after a couple rounds.
0: Right. Like, but, like, essentially, it's, it's called, I would call it gadget. Um, and as long as you're concentrating on it, just like the other th- with the other things it could, it could persist until you will it away, but it would like fit in your hand and it would be like you know they would give you a list of gadgets you could make one would be like a door locking mechanism you can put it on any door and it will it will bolt that door shut in a, in a way that is unique to this this gadget it requires a certain you know um skill of thieves tools to use to to unlock it um or like you know. Uh, like binoculars. You can, like, increase your vision distance a certain amount or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But, like, little tiny gadgets that, you know, looking crystal, as they would call it or whatever it would be, um, that would just sort of spice the game up a little bit. And maybe they would summon creatures that are little, like, clockwork golems and stuff. And, you know, just I, I think there, there are a lot of fun things you could do there. Mm-hmm. Um but what I wouldn't want is, I, I, once again, I don't want it to get too over the top. I don't want flying ships. I don't want guns and ammunition in my high fantasy <laughs> game. Um, so I'm, I'm very picky about my Technomancer. But I, I, I would kind of like to see what they would do with the Technomancer.
1: Yeah. Um, one more that I would like to see, uh, which is kind of there, but not to the level that I want it to be. Um, druids have Wild Shape. But I always feel like Wild Shape is not the best at low levels. And it kind of, like, when I think Druid, that's the fantasy of Druid that I think of. Shapeshifter. Is, is Shapeshifter. And Shapeshifter is really not well represented. I mean, it's there. You can kind of spec into it. But, like, it's still not, it's still very limited. And I played a, another RPG set, a game called uh, Dungeon World. Uh, which is a very much very it's a very low level kind of game but the druid in that game could shapeshift at will Uh, but it didn't add as many uh, damaging like it didn't add as much benefits to combat it was really more like a a tool they can use exactly yeah I like that. I really wish Druids got, like, a cantrip shapeshift that they can use to get minor benefits, you know? Just extremely minor benefits, but I think it would be really cool.
0: Like, plus five or ten on on your speed or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or, like, you know. Dark
0: vision. Or or even just,
1: like, they they get, like, a a natural weapon. Like, just a really dinky, rinky-dink natural weapon, like, that would equal the damage of a cantrip. But, like, I think that would be really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, to also that degree, I would also love, like, uh, lycanthropy to be more of, like, a character option, even its own
0: race, even. Uh, so much like Worgen from World of Warcraft. Just I where- mean, you want them to bring back the rules of lycanthropy. I mean, they've got them in the Monster Manual, but you want it to be a watered-down PC race version? Exactly. Um,
1: because I think that would be really cool. Just like the concept of like, you have a beast inside you that you're trying to tame constantly, you know, and like that, those role play opportunities are really interesting to me. Like also if you want to play it, so it has to be secret, you know, Mm. um, I think that's really cool. It's something I would like, uh, but you know, hopefully D and D kind of goes in that direction or doesn't, you know, who knows.
0: I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Xanthar's Guide is going to come out in, what, two weeks? I believe so. I, I think the, believe it's very soon. It's going to drop It's like- November 21st that it gets released. So, um, yeah, that's like two, three weeks from this recording um, when you guys are going to listen to it. Uh, and this is a good time for us to bring up uh, a, a plug sort of just for all local hobby shops. Um, Xanthar's Guide... You could buy it online. Yes, that's absolutely true. And hell, if you're if you really want to save money, could you pirate it? Probably. But remember that hobby shops are sort of like the backbone of the gaming world. Um, I really can't imagine it, like a day when the hobby shops cl- like close down for good, similar to the vein of like you know Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. Like you know those shops are sort of gone, and that's a weird part of culture that I don't like. I I'm. I, I know this happens every generation. I know that there are certain things that closed down. Like in the 50s, you know, it was like, you know, diners that had like, you know, milkshakes and jukeboxes and like they were all big and stuff. And now it's like you don't really find that sort of culture around anymore.
1: Never been to a Johnny Rockets?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but that's a theme thing. What I'm saying is like yeah. if that was the – that was commonplace. Um and, you know, when we were growing up, if you're – depending on what age you are, if you're listening to this podcast, it's it's very well that you may have never visited a Hollywood video or a blockbuster video. And they were, you know, stores where you would go and rent um, uh, movies and or video games. There was also like the game yeah. crazy attached to the Hollywood video and, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever else. Uh, but – and fun fact, if it, if it were not for – such fine establishment as Hollywood Video um, (laughs) not only this podcast but all of GeekAid would not exist probably uh, because the two I don't know if all I don't know if all three of them did but at least two two. of our um, co-founders of GeekAid.com Evan and Chris uh, worked together at a Hollywood Video slash Game Crazy and that's sort of where the idea for GeekAid was born so that that's neither here nor there though. My point is is that you know um it's a piece of it's a piece of lost culture you know you'll see it in movies and stuff, but it's not something that people really understand anymore. They want to rent a movie it's all on demand Who would ever like the the idea is foreign to them of wanting to actually get out of their houses and, and go and 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 rent a movie personally i would love to open up a movie shop again total clerk style just do it but (laughs) um because the fact of the matter is is now it's like it would be this one it would be this one thing that would like stand out because they're not around anymore and i think people would go for the novelty of it um maybe but like it's I don't know. I even now, if I had the option of renting something on demand or renting something from a video store, I mm-hmm. would probably go to the video store if I if I had the time because there's something cool about going in and you're you know perusing all these movies on the shelf and you have to like feel the box art and like yeah you know they have popcorn and other things. There's just so much about it. I could. I'm getting really segwayed here, but yeah, like it, I was about to say, like <laughs> yeah, I got, I'll I'll veer us back on track here. Um but point is is that it's a lost culture, hobby shops. Are, I hope they never go that way. I hope there's never yeah. a time where we're talking about hobby shops in the same vein. Um, and I'm very sad to report, I, I, I sort of hinted to this earlier, um, but one of the shops that I visited, and that we have even plugged on the show before, Wild Pig uh, Comics and Games, mm-hmm. is no longer in business. About uh, two weeks ago, they, they shuttered their doors for one final time. Um, they had a huge sale. I, I bought some games from them. Um, the owner, whose name was Chris, I feel like everybody we know that owns a store is named Chris. Um, Chris was very very kind um, nice guy I didn't know him for that long only for the past like five six years I knew um, one of his workers this guy Bill who was very enthusiastic um, very awesome guy I knew him more he was a very people person and I enjoyed my time at Wild Pigs but the, the store closed and part of that comes from our culture and Xanathar's Guide is coming out so our plug is this If you can, if you have the money, and you want the book, do us a favor. Do your local hobby shop a favor. Go and pick it up from them. In fact, if you want to splurge on yourself, there's a very nice collector's edition that you can really get only from, or you're only supposed to be able to get it from, a brick-and-mortar hobby store. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you can find a reseller online that will sell it. But if you can, I mean, if you want to support the store, that'd be a great way to do it, and you get an really nice book out of it, too. Um, I can't stress that enough. Uh, I have so many good memories of hobby shops. You do, too, Me I'm too. sure. Me, what's, too. What's, a, what's like, a, a golden memory of a hobby shop you have?
1: golden memory of a hobby shop.
0: Yeah, something that, like, you, like, when you think of, like, a a great time that sticks out in your mind of, like, visiting a hobby shop, what would you say, like, that memory is?
1: Um, I would always say that every time I go to my local hobby shop of uh, Highlander Games in Boonton, um Uh, It's always, like, a great time to me because the owner, Scott, is, like, a really great guy to talk about, talk shop with. Uh, You you know, it's just always, like, a great selection. Always very, you know, the community there is, you know, it it varies. But, like, generally there's always been, like, good people who just want to play games, just want to, you know, hang out with other people who are like-minded uh, and you know, I'm glad that they're currently, you know, they're doing well, mm-hmm. and I hope they continue to do so because I would be very remiss if I were to lose that shop, Um, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I've, I've, I've said it before on on our podcast, but it's New World Manga. That's my that's my be all end all little hobby shop that I've gone to for ages, and it started off because of. The, uh, the owner, Chris, uh, who was the owner at the time, he actually has now recently... Yeah, I know another Chris, right? Um, he actually recently stepped down as owner. He still works there, but he's now um, he's now given up the, the his time as owner, which is sad in its own right. Um, but Chris dressed up as Brock and, you know, played Pokemon, and it was, it was great. It was just a great atmosphere with great people. And that memory is, is one of the best memories I have of going into a hobby shop. That, and I also remember at the time, I was really into Dragon Ball Z, Um, Mm -hmm. that was when it was still sort of like an in and out on the fringe sort of thing like some people loved it some people didn't you know when people started to love it again Toonami would finally release new episodes and when people started to stop loving it they would just like you know stop running episodes of DBZ for like two years then all of a sudden (laughs) it would come back again but um, I remember they they sold these great uh, imported Japanese action figures from DBZ and um, my favorite character at, at that age, was gotcha. Future Trunks. Uh, you were close. You and I
1: know Trunks.
0: You were close. <laughs> um, was Future Trunks. And I hadn't even seen the episodes really with Future Trunks yet. I'd only kind of heard about what he had done and, like, who he was and his backstory, and that he was Vegeta's son, and that Bulma was his mom. And I was just like, my God, this guy's awesome. Sure. And I remember, like, I wanted his figure. And, of course, they didn't have it in any American stores because... It wasn't uh, a property that was really ready to be released yet. But at New World Manga, they had the Japanese action figure of uh, Future Trunks. And I I remember my mom picked me – went there. I went there with her and she picked it up for me and bought it. And that was just a really good memory I have. But once again, that just goes to show you that's something that I was able to do because I went to a hobby shop. I actually went out to a place that had a very specialized, unique item because that's their audience. They catered to – um, you know, nerds, us, people who play games, people who like anime, people who love comics and, you know, whatever else, whatever your whatever your geek is, your hobby shop should have something for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of our, our little spiel on, on plugging going to hobby shops. We'll finish up tonight with uh, our board game review. We that's decided right. to stop being lazy and got around to a format now. We have a fancy <laughs> format of reviewing. So essentially we're just going to start like this what the game is. Our game is Is? the uh, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Yes. Uh,
1: The the D&D based parody of Betrayal uh, of of the House on the Haunted Hill. Wait, that's not it.
0: Would you say, yeah, Betrayal of the House on the Hill. Um, Would you say parody, or would you just say thematic rendition? Because parody makes it sound like a joke.
1: Oh yeah, you're right. Thematic rendition. Yeah. Uh, because it yeah, is, it is, it is still a very idea. much a,
0: a just like the base game. You know, it draws on elements of horror and deception, um, but it's it's great. So that's our review for tonight. Is uh, not I mean, it's not done. I'm just saying that's what we're going to. Yeah. Review tonight. Have a
1: nice day. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's it. <laughs> bye
0: bye. Um, we're going to uh, yeah. So we'll review Baldur's Gate. Uh, Betrayal Baldur's Gate. Um, first, we're going to oh. talk a little bit about how our game went. Uh, we played it well, in a group. Do you want to explain how the game plays? <laughs> well. I was going to do that with how the game went, but yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Fine. This yeah. is rough. This is, you get to hear all the roughness <laughs> of our new format, see? Um, um, so how the game works is there are three rule books, technically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, one rule book is how to actually play the game. The other two are secret rule books that you don't really use until a certain point in the game called The Haunt. Yeah. Um, now, how the game works is it's a map-building, map dungeon-exploring game. It's got miniatures, and mm-hmm. it's a tile-type building game where there's different tiles that connect, and you create new rooms. Um, it's got some cards. The cards have certain rules and events and things that happen on them, and they tell you what to do, when they flip them. And long story short, you're a group of adventurers from Baldur's Gate uh, going and doing, you know, as adventurers do. And there's a top level, which is like the the street level of Baldur's Gate slash the building level of Baldur's Gate. And then there's the underbelly sewer level of Baldur's Gate as well that you can travel. And eventually, um, depending on... During the course on, of the game. During yeah. the course of the game, depending on what, you know, what happens, eventually, at some point, um, someone triggers, as I said, the event called The Haunt.
1: Yes, and uh, once you trigger the haunt, depending on where you are, uh, it tells you what haunt occurs. I believe in the version uh, that we have, Betrayal, Ball escape. there's 13 haunts, 13, 14 haunts.
0: There's many uh, more than that. Are you sure? Yeah. I
1: counted. Anyways, regardless. Um, Wait, 13 uh, haunt cards? No, haunts, like scenarios.
0: No, there's like 60, bro.
1: Really? I yeah. didn't see. It. Anyways, regardless, uh, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of haunts, <laughs> and depending on where you are uh, and what you roll, uh, that determines what haunt it is. Um, and so, <clears throat> when that happens, the the person who uh, becomes the the kind of like the villain becomes a villain. Sometimes there's not a villain, uh, but the person who becomes a villain takes his book, uh, goes into another room, and the person, everyone else, takes the other book uh, and stays where there are. They read through it. Uh, essentially, both books contain the objectives of you know v- v- either the evil side or the good side. Uh, how they're supposed to win. Uh, sometimes the villain has like a really intricate scenario where they have to win, or sometimes it's very straightforward.
0: Um, also, just as I looked it up, um, I was ten off. It's fifty haunts. Okay. Fifty. 50 Not haunts. thirteen. Five zero. <laughs> okay. 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 Chugga chugga
1: choo choo. Boo. So. Uh, and then at that point, the the map can continue to expand, uh, but both both teams now have a goal in mind, and they have to achieve that goal one way or another. And usually, uh, they're,
0: they're working exactly direct directly opposite one another. Exactly. Um, and yeah, so I the reason I'm so adamant about saying that there are 50 different haunts is that's part of what makes the game so so great, in my opinion, is its replayability, um, because it's it would be very unlikely for you to get the same haunt twice, at least in the in the first couple games that you play. Um, but I, I mean, yeah. So that's that's pretty much it in terms of how the game is played. Um, so
1: now, how our game went?
0: Yeah, um, our game. I mean, you want to you want to talk about it first? Go ahead sure. Then.
1: So um, we there was a whole bunch of us. We played with a maximum of six people. We actually um, played with
0: more than that. We played with seven people. Yeah. So- um, because we had two people double up on a character
1: yeah um i uh the the game you know it was very going very smoothly we we're getting all kinds of goodies uh i my character was very decked out uh I had a whole bunch of stuff, but I was playing like a cleric type character, so my ability was every every character has an ability my ability was healing
0: um which is unique to the baldurs gate version. the original yeah. version does not have character abilities
1: yeah um so you know I was trying my best to stick with my team uh but I also wanted to explore a bit too uh because I just want to see how far you know how far the rabbit hole goes, so to speak uh when we did trigger the haunt uh it was funny because uh Carrie our friend Carrie triggered the haunt, but she didn't want to be the the haunter, so Dave was like, oh I'll do it <laughs> oh yeah he, he jumped on it and uh he he took the reins uh the <laughs> uh, our objective was simple uh, um, kill date
0: real quick yeah. I'm just going to say spoiler alert possibly yes. we'll talk about the scenario um, because each scenario you know you should you shouldn't know what the other side's objectives are and we are going to talk about what our objectives were of the night and how the game played for us so spoiler we will, we will be spoiling I believe the number of our scenario was 13 um, so we were spoiling scenario number 13 uh, okay but um i believe it's number 13 but regardless we will be spoiling that scenario continue
1: um so uh it, the book <laughs> so first we thought we had to stay there but then dave's like no we've switched um <laughs> uh and then we had to go upstairs uh our objective was simple uh dave had turned into a Dave not had turned into, but was the entire time a servant of uh, uh, an ooze monster god, uh, demon, uh, and he turned into a jelly fiend, and our objective was to kill Dave, uh, pure and simple
0: and uh. in my book um, I first as Jenga said I left the room because usually that's what you do and then it was like oh wait no they have to leave because I as Jelly Monster my goal was also just to kill all of them sacrifice them to the the ooze god but I also was in control of three gelatinous cubes or no not three five one for each four one for each player besides me so five I was in charge of five gelatinous cubes and how they worked was I had to pick um, certain tiles, and they just couldn't have a player on them um, I had to pick certain tiles and write them down as to where I wanted those gelatinous cubes to start and then they had a movement of like two tiles um, and every turn that they took on their monster turn they could move, and they don't really become visible until either they attack something, or something enters their space, therefore getting trapped inside of them and so I strategically then had to place them and maneuver them in an attempt to hinder the party and um, win the game.
1: Um, we had a lot of great abilities. Unfortunately, we weren't, like, grouped up well enough, and a lot of us were isolated. And Dave took that opportunity to kind of, like, pick us off, pick off. Maybe he—I think he definitely aimed to—I mean, maybe he didn't aim for it, but he definitely got our, he got our strongest people first. Um and after that, everything just kind of fell apart. Up to the point where, just like the last two people, were like, "We're not going to win," and they just, <laughs> they just ended the game there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, i
0: i had I had strategically placed the cubes in ways that would isolate everyone from the from each other. Um, especially Jangus. Jangus went down this whole one way hallway, and I just stuck a cube right in the only way he could come back. Really, um, so that worked out well. But uh, yeah, one by one, I ended up actually. There's a there's uh, touch and go for a moment, but I did end up pulling out the win in the game.
1: Yeah. When he took, because he, he took a lot of our items when we died, uh, and Dave just got stronger and stronger. <laughs> so, um, what did you like about it? So, I like that the actual city tiles, the tiles feel like oh, this is Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate is, like, this big, sprawling city um, with, like, a weird catacomb underneath. And I was like, you know, oh, this is a really nice map. Uh, I like how this kind of, like, expands and all that. Uh, I like the theming. The theming was great. Uh, this is a D&D game. It feels like you're kind of, it kind of feels like you're playing D&D, especially with, like, you know, uh, especially, except it's, like, all D6s. I would have loved to, like, see a D20 thrown in there somehow, but, hey, I understand. Uh, and uh, uh, other than that, it's, you know, it, it went well enough. Uh, like you said, 50 different things, 50 different haunts. That's a lot. Yeah. And if they're all, like, D&D-based haunts, you know, that's great. They are um, every single one of them,
0: and that's what's yeah. great. And they got—they actually had multiple writers come in. I know—I know for a fact that they got a whole bunch of different writers, like some of them very famous D&D pedigree type writers, to um, come and p- write the scenarios for the Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Um, yeah. So it was great. Um, what I liked about the game—I mean, I. <laughs> I liked killing players, man. <laughs> I I liked being the traitor. Um, that's really all I wanted of the night was to experience like what it was like to be because I had played. This is only the second time I've ever played a betrayal game. Um, I played the original game with uh, our buddy Chris during his uh, board game bachelor party, but um, there was a lot of like people <coughs> drunk, and it was it was okay. Um, and I enjoyed it, but I, it was just kind of sloppy and it felt rushed. And I, I don't know. I, I, I saw the potential for it, but also, like, it was so cool because I think it was Chris, right, who actually became – he started the haunt? Oh, no, that's right. It was you. It was <laughs> yeah. Um Jengis started the haunt, and I thought it was just so cool, um, like, the idea that, like, Jengis had this little book. And he knew things that we didn't know. <laughs> and like so so very like you know, like what's in the book? Like, you know yeah. I uh I don't know. I just I that's what I liked most about it was being a trader. But from a player's perspective, before I became the trader, I love the D and D flair of it. Um I love that it's Baldur's Gate. I love that you start in the Elf Song Tavern. Yes, that was um, another great touch. Yeah. Uh I love the flavor of, like, the items and the events that go on around you. Like, one of the items is the <laughs> Book of Vile Darkness, and you're just yeah. like, oh my god. If we um, had that book. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, so it's it's great. It combines th- two things we love, board games and D&D. Um, is yeah. there anything you didn't like about it?
1: Um, well, I mean, this is just a personal gripe, but I know that Things like combat are meant to be random, because random combat is never predictable. But, you know, just dice rolls, not going in your favor, always painful. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish there was more opportunities to get more dice. Uh, I feel like sometimes you're very limited, because it's based largely on your stats. Um, I wish there was more way to get items. Uh, I feel like items weren't really distributed as as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know if that's just our luck you know, or just, you know, because that, that deck is, like, random. So right. it's not always, you know... <clears throat> yeah, uh, let me think, something else. Um, it, we ran out of tiles pretty quick, but our game kind of went pretty long.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know oh, if, so like, you guys we, you guys chose to do a lot of extra exploring. I mean, yeah. here's the thing, is when I, after I became the trader, a lot of them kind of kept doing their own thing. Um... Had I been a player, I mean, Chris was sort of suggesting it, but no one was listening to him. Had I been a player, I would have beelined for the traitor. If that's the objective, is kill the dude. I would have just, I would have gone straight after me immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what what allowed me to win the game was that for such a long period of time, everybody was so separated and nobody really came together. Chris was the only one that actively came for me, um, and he was the fighter, and I managed to take him out. Um, and once he was gone, it then just sort of like one by one, I sort of picked everybody off. But if everybody kind of coordinated and came after me, um, I have a feeling the game would have gone a lot differently uh, because oh. those gelatinous cubes are not fast enough to really go like and get everybody at once. Like, mm-hmm. you know, very easily could have, could have, uh, could have overtaken me. Yeah. Um, but I think one thing I didn't like particularly Um, and it wasn't like a huge gripe it's I still loved I absolutely adored the game I'm very glad I I purchased it Uh, was the objective itself while the scenario was cool and I loved like maneuvering the gelatinous cubes it was very much a a DM type situation Um, I liked I like heftier or more complicated objectives Mm -hmm. like you know in the original base game that we played, Jengis uh, had like this like whole uh, wedding undead wedding thing going on, yeah. and we had to like you know carry a body from one location to another and get to the church and this and that and it's just the objectives were a little bit more interesting and I think mm-hmm. fun than your standard go kill the other party objective um so really. That was my only complaint. Is that I I wished that that particular scenario. I'm sure, and I'm sure there are tons of scenarios like that that they have, but I just wish that the there. I wish there wasn't a scenario just so basic as go kill the other team and that's yeah. it. Yeah, you know.
1: I think if I were to have augmented that, like to be a bit more you know, not as straightforward. I would say like, I would want the, the villain to have to make more oozes somehow. Like maybe every time he traps someone, he created more oozes. Maybe every time he killed someone, he made a lot more oozes. And like, you have to fill up a lot of the map with ooze, um, and then if I were to have for the players, I would want the players to have to get... Dre- I want the players to have to maneuver the enemy into a spot where there's like a drain and then have to like wash him away somehow. I think that would have been cool.
0: Yeah, uh, I I agree. So there, there are just ways that we could have made that game, um, that those objectives a little bit more fun. But... But overall,
1: our final score, David, this is... <laughs> How would you rate The Trail of
0: Baldur's Gate? Two thumbs up, definitely. I mean, I, 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 I can't stress that
1: enough. I agree. Two thumbs up for me, too.
0: I feel like we like everything, though.
1: Not always. But that's why I added the section where we talk about what we don't like about it.
0: That's true. Because there
1: are things that we don't like. However, overall, it's still a great experience, and you should get it. We also don't buy bad games.
0: That is also true. (laughs) So there's that. Um, But anyway, that rounds out uh, November's You Shall Not Pass Go. Thank you for joining us and tuning in. Yes. Uh, once again, please contact us in any way you see fit. You want you want to write something in the sky over our houses—that's cool too—and um, let us know what you think. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Indeed, have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone! Happy Thanksgiving! You can celebrate. Yes. <laughs> happy Turkey Day! See you. Bye.